Hey there, fellow humans. Mark Labusk here for the Simply Practically Human podcast. And um, by popular demand, as in my own demand, I had to reach out to this great human being, Craig Harper, who's been on my show before, because um, I haven't spoken to him for a long time. And I've missed speaking to him, actually, because I always learn from Harps and he says he learns from me. So today is a one-hour conversation between two blokes, not a sermon, as Harp says, on all sorts of stuff. So have a listen. You'll always get good value. I know my listeners say when Harps comes on, they get great value. Have a listen to him. Take some notes down. Be offended by him. And um, we'll catch you at the end. Life can get pretty complicated. In the Simply Practically Human podcast, Mark LaBusque talks to incredible humans to see the way forward more clearly through the complexity in the world and in our heads. Let's get ready to thrive. Hey, I'm delighted to catch up after far, far too many months with my good friend and um, host of the You Project podcast, amongst other things, Craig Harper. Harps, thanks for joining me, mate. Hi, buddy. It's been a while, hasn't it? I feel like we haven't spoken much, but the beauty of a podcast is we get to talk for an hour and, uh, you know, people may or may not enjoy it, but on the bright side, you and I will catch up, so fuck it. I know that. Hey, um, and we did catch up very, very briefly when I came out to to one of the sessions you run out at, uh, is that Deacon? Uh, yeah, that was Deacon, that one. Yep. The yeah. last two have been at Deacon, big room and a little room. And, mate, I felt... I felt almost famous for a moment because some dude who was there sitting there just waiting to come in and listen to you, the great man, he turned around and he goes, are you Mark LaBusque? <laughs> and I went, yeah. And he goes, oh, I heard you on Harps' podcast. I really like you. And I'm thinking, fucking how good's that? Yeah, I, I got recognised by somebody who really loves you. That was, it was a good thing for me. And then I met you for the first well, time. Do you know, it was so weird because I've never seen you in person. Well, I have now, but I hadn't. And also, I was probably thinking about the the next eight hours that I was going to do, or four hours I was going to talk for, or whatever it was. And I kind of looked at you and didn't, you know, sometimes you're looking but not seeing, and it's like sometimes you you're hearing but not listening. Hearing is a sense, and listening's a skill. You know, it's a little bit like that with me. But it was good to finally meet you, mate, and catch up. But it we didn't get indeed. to talk enough, so. You have to come over to the thriving metropolis or I'll have to meet you over there or something. We'll have a coffee and a cuddle and sing Kumbaya and chat about shit. I'm going to come over your way at some stage, mate. It was funny that because I sort of looked at you and you looked at me and you, you had you had so much going and you had to entertain some people. I was there to be entertained and, and I was I was entertained. You have a good you have a good crowd, Harps, that follow you around. They seem like good human beings. Do you know, it's funny, like as a speaker, you're a speaker, I'm a speaker, we both stand in front of audiences a lot and I always talk about the, the the temperature of the crowd and my crowds are as warm as a crowd can get. Yep. Like even if you are like, for example, last week we had our annual conference, the U Project conference, and we had, I can't remember if it was seven and me or six and me anyway, we had a bunch of speakers from around Australia come and speak and everyone said what you just said. They're like, you're, the people who follow you, your audience are awesome. I'm like, I know, I love them. They love me. I love them. It's like, and it sounds cheesy and it sounds a bit naff and whatever, but, you know, to build a group of people that, you know, we're all kind of want to head in the same direction, which is learning and growing and doing and thinking better and, it's a very warm audience. Yep. And as a speaker, you don't always have that. Sometimes you have a cold audience where, you know, no one in the room knows who you are. 
yeah. or, or they don't really know anything about you. Maybe three people do. They don't give a fuck whether or not you crash and burn or fly. They they don't. You've got to create rapport. You've got to create connection. You've got to kind of win them over so that you can share some thoughts and ideas. And and you've got to be interesting. And you've got to be a bit funny. And you've got to be all of that pretty quickly or you lose them. So, yeah, talking to my group is it's pretty easy. They make it very easy. So I'm lucky. Yeah. And there was some real diversity there too. Like, and, and a lot of repeat. I mean, there's a lot of people who listen to the podcast and have been to some things, but they had a thirst for learning. I remember a couple of, there was a couple of females in the front row near us. I think they were down from Bendigo and which is, you know, an hour or so out of Melbourne for those that aren't from Australia. But you could just tell how much they're prepared to want to learn and learn, not not just learn from you, but I think the other thing that happens in your audience is the willingness to learn and be generous enough to share your own shit so that others can learn, not just from harps, but from everybody. 100%. Look, I always say I'm 80% student, 20% teacher. And that sounds like humble and magnanimous, but it's actually literally true. I mean, I'm literally a student at the moment. As you know, I'm literally a PhD student. So I'm, I'm spending four years learning and fucking up and falling down and learning and unlearning. And, you know, I read all the time. I listen to other smart people. I get to talk to people like you. You've taught me plenty. I mean, you know, we're different. I I don't compare like who's ahead of who all because it's kind of a, it's an ego driven thing, but I'm good at some stuff. I'm bad at some stuff. I, I get some things right. I know a lot about a few things, a little about other things and fuck all about lots of things. And so I kind of know where where to be and I know when to speak with, I guess, a level of um, authority sounds a little bit over the top, but you know what I'm saying? It's yep. like, well, I've been training humans and bodies for 40 something years, so I should be pretty good at that. And I'm an exercise scientist and all that. And I've trained a bazillion people. So I should be pretty comfortable in that space, you know? And, but when we're talking about say business, even though I've owned my own businesses multiple and had 500 staff, I still don't see myself particularly as a great business person. And I'm like, I can do it, but I'm not passionate about it. Yeah, I'm not, I don't want to talk about business. I don't want to talk about the bottom line. I don't want to talk about, you know, infrastructure. And it's definitely not bad, but it ain't me. So you mentioned about, look, I'm not businessy. And I've just been really, really fortunate, lucky. I'm going to say I was um, asked late last year to speak at a, a conference that was just on last week of independent pharmacy owners. So, the Pharmacy Owners Summit, run by an amazing human being, Karen Brown and her and her friend Felicity Crimston. So they they got about sixty owners of pharmacies from all around Australia come into Uluru, and one of the things that came up a lot, I was talking to them about their stop stories, their self limiting belief, and quite a few talked about the fact that they're not we're not businessy enough, we're not. Because we're, we're technically well-trained as pharmacists and they, there's obviously a lot of technical training, but then they own a pharmacy and they're like, well, I, I'm not good at business, but they are good at business because they're running very successful businesses. So there's something that we'll get into that in self-management, but let's just chat. Like you asked me before about, we might talk a bit about Uluru last week. What do you what do you want to know? 60 well, pharmacists? You, I mean, you just came back from being there. I have not been there. I must be one of the five people one of the five Australians alive who hasn't been there. And this is a fundamental question, but what did you like about it? What did Have you been there before? Uh, went there back four years ago. Alison uh, was turning 50 and she told mm. us to pack for somewhere warm without telling us where we were going. So um, the three kids, their partners, Alison and, and Alison's dad and me, went up there for, th- I think, three nights. And it was a quick trip. 
Mm. The word that sums Uluru up for me, mm. and it's a deep word, is um, spiritual. I knew you were going to say it. I like, knew it. I was going to preempt you. Yeah, tell me. Okay, let's hear about that. Like, one of the things that I've, I've taken, I was in Darwin about six weeks back as well. We did two weeks up Darwin, Kakadu, and some other places, and I learned, I learned more in, in four hours in Catherine than I'd learned in 50 years about Indigenous culture and things like that. But when I first flew into Uluru, where, you know, Air's Rock as they call it, but Uluru, mm. just seeing the rock from the air and then when you end up going out there, I don't know, mate, there's something about the place. There's this real, it felt like like respect was another thing that, like respect this place. This is, there's something about this place in the centre of Australia that, that actually gives you goosebumps, mate. So we went out to the rock we did a thing one night called the Sounds of Silence where you go out in the middle of the, the bush and it's set up, it's a bit of a fine dining experience. And they have a, one of the uh, Indigenous guys there who takes you through a, about 30 minutes on looking up at the stars and pointing out how the stars have been used for tens of thousands of years as, to know about what fruits are going to be ready to pick and what animals are laying eggs at certain times and and you sort of think to yourself, like, how how smart were these First Nations people? And it's almost like a privilege, mate. So I feel like this, when they say you can't take a photo of this thing, some people will be wanting, oh, I'll take one. You just know you don't you do not do anything out here mm. that sort of breaks the, 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 I guess, the cycle and the respect for the place. So I, I come away from there again, like, you just feel a bit different. Awesome. I, I feel like... I haven't been there, but I've had a few experiences in my life where it's similar. It's like it's sacred. I go, there's yeah. something going on here. There's an energy, an awareness, a, something that's way bigger than my brain. Yeah, It's way bigger than my mind and my understanding. And it, for me, it's like a soul thing. It's not like a mind thing. It's like a, whatever the soul is. I mean, there's a podcast, but it's like there's something going on that doesn't, in inverted commas, make sense. It's not necessarily logical or practical or, or explainable or, you know, and I, I think just being in that, just sometimes, like, sometimes I think we've got to stop trying to figure everything out because trying to figure everything out, you miss the moment. Just fucking be in the moment. Whatever that's going on, just sink into that. Just fall into that pool and swim in that. Just fucking be there and stop trying to give it a name or an explanation or a meaning and just let it kind of wash over you. You know, for me, that's the that's the beauty. Everything out there was like a feeling. It was mm. below the neck stuff and you're just looking around and, yeah, the, 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 the red earth, like it's the reddest of red earth that you'll mm. ever see and they call it the red centre for a very good reason. But just, you know, it's a desert, but as they say, it's a, this is actually their supermarket. This thing that you're looking at as you're driving along and it looks barren and there's, you know, there's plant life and whatnot. But they say this is, being with the um, pharmacist, it's like here's their supermarket and their drugstore mm. and, and this is their life. And I, I was imagining, looking at it um, at Katajuda, which is the oldest they call it, but Katajuda is the name, Indigenous name, and the sunsets of the, and sunrises are the most amazing ones you'll ever see. And, and you're sort of thinking to yourself, for tens of thousands of years, there have been people here, like, enjoying this. Yes. We've been fortunate, you know, in the last 200 years, we've turned up and, and we get to enjoy it. But even the fact that they've stopped walking on the rock. Yeah. And you can sort of, the thing they talk about now is you can see the scar on the rock, which is where the foot, 
you know, the pathway to get up the top. And they're saying it's going to take 60 or 70 years for that to go away. But that's, they're the sorts of things they talk about, not like, mm. you know, we'll sell you something in the souvenir store here. They want you to know that this, this land is sacred. That's a great word you used. And, that, and please treat it with the respect that has been treated with for 60,000 years. Now, the oldest living culture, culture. in the, in yeah. the world and this is the heart of where they lived. So, mate, you've got to get yourself out there. You've got to find yourself a, an opportunity to get there or, like I did, hung out with what we what they call themselves as hung out, hung out with legal drug dealers, a.k.a. pharmacists. Mm. Get yourself mm. out there, mate. I'm thinking about you talking about The Rock and, and, you know, that it's their drugstore, it's their supermarket, it's their – think about – I mean, depending on which version you look at, the creation or the evolution version, let's go with evolution for the minute. So we've been around for, who knows, fucking squillions of years, right? But thousands of generations, and it's really only probably the last 100 or 200 years where humanity, where humans in general, haven't been really intertwined with nature. Yep. It's like... And most people for the entire evolutionary timeline, most human beings were intertwined with the environment. They had a relationship with the earth. And we, born in the concrete jungle, raised in the concrete jungle, uh, not that that's good or bad, not that that's an insult or a critique, it's just a reality of modernity. We don't have that, but I think it's in our DNA. And sometimes when the urban dweller gets plonked in the most beautiful of nature, there's something going on that's happening in our body that's happening to us and for us that doesn't make sense with our modern concrete jungle brain. But your body's like, thank fuck we're here. Just stop hurrying. And for me being in, I grew up in the country, so I'm kind of one foot in each camp, right? I grew up in trees and shit. But for me, it's a reset and it gives... Like, I don't think you can get a perspective outside of nature that you can get in it. And I think you can meditate and you can read and you can listen to awesome music and all of those things can be, you know, transformational and state changing. But something happens, maybe not to everybody, but it sounds like you and definitely me, something transformative and powerful that doesn't really, in inverted commas, make sense happens or can happen in nature. And you... I don't know, you just, I get a level of perspective in yep. the middle of the bush, in the middle, even at the beach I live, you know, admittedly it's Port Phillip Bay, but it's still the sand, it's still the ocean. Like even just being 800 metres from where I am right now, something happens to my nervous system, to my brain, to my endocrine system, to my respiratory and cardiovascular system, It's th that's transformative. So. Yeah, that's probably the best anxiety and depression medication known to man. I think you're right. One of the things that we did the couple of weeks in the Territory as well, up around Darwin and Kakadu and Litchfield Park and those places, and one of the things that happened was the heightening of the senses. Like you can smell things that you don't usually smell and you can you see things and you just like you, you know, you go swimming in a waterhole and this, the smell of the, the water in the waterhole, the, the smell of the plants, like you know, there's a lot of planned burning that's, you know, been going on again for tens of thousands of years up there. They do it for very, very good reason. And we could learn a lot from that. But just you can you, you get that smell, but it's not that dirty, smoky smell. It's almost like in some respects it's a bit of a sweet smell. And and I just think 
because we don't stop enough um, and we're onto the next thing, we don't actually take that time to to tap into our the senses that we have, whether it be sight, smell, taste, whatever it is. But I really found that that was good. We we had one place up there, Harps, where we spent four days with no technology, no TVs, a place called Bummeroo Plains, right near the top of the Northern Territory. And we came away from that and people who saw us when we got back to Darwin were like, geez, you look bloody relaxed. Mm. And we're like, maybe because I sort of saw it like this. It was almost like all of the shit had gone out of my head over four days. Yeah. And, and then it was like it was just evaporating out like the floodplains up there. And then we get back to Darwin. I'm sitting in the in the hotel restaurant that next morning having some brekkie and the TV's on. And apparently at the time, you know, Jordan Dugowie, a footballer, had done something wrong and Lisa Wilkinson had made a speech that fired a few people up. And it almost felt like, again, all the water mm-hmm. had started draining back into my brain and starting to bloody, and it was shitty murky water, mm. which was infecting it. And I just think there's there's something here about how we manage that and how we manage ourselves, which is something we're going to talk about today, a topic of very broadly about self-management and, and you know, how do, we, how do we manage self? So specific to what you were just saying then, right? Yep. Like a lot of what I do when people go, I get this question a lot, you know, I'm talking to the NAB today or I'm, I'm you know, we've got a conference on the weekend or I'm whatever. It's like, oh, what are you going to talk to them about? And it's, as you know, it's hard because it's, well, One, I'm pretty freestyle, so I don't know, like it's going to kind of be in this space. But, I mean, broadly, I help people, I try to help people, I should say, just just consider how they self-manage, how they manage their mind, their body, their emotions, their time, their resources, their skill, their behaviours, their attention, all of the stuff that each of us have got to work with. But just then, you know, where you go, oh, I'm in the middle of nature, it's fucking amazing, and then I come back and then the media and then Jordan's going and then Lisa Wilkinson and my brain, like that's a really good lesson. And I go, "Uh," hit the pause button, Mark. Cool, boom, stop. Okay, out of what you just said, what's the lesson? And for me, I don't know what your lesson is, but listening to you, part of the lesson is this. What the fuck do I pay attention to? Yep. And does it serve me? Mm, okay, well, listening to, for me, and I don't mean to be judgy, but stuff like that does not really, for me, I don't need to know that. I don't need to hear it. It's not uplifting. I either need to listen to nothing for the minute, stillness, quiet, silence, and just be, and just feel what comes up and sit in that. Or I may maybe need to listen to something that I find uplifting or or encouraging or positive. And so I think one of our ever-present challenges is how do I manage my mind and how do I manage my focus and my attention and my mental and emotional energy and what does that mean? And we have a great capacity to focus on shit that we have no control over and this is no revelation. Control your controllables, all those very, very common cliches, right? And while we all know that, nonetheless... How many of us, me included, waste somewhere between a bit and a fuckload? There's a scale, one end, bit, other end, fuckload. It's a scale. How many of us waste time and energy and even potential obsessing about, focusing on, bitching about, thinking about things that we can't change yep. or things that are out of our control while ignoring or doing next to nothing about the shit we can actually manage? 
So what I can't manage is what people are saying or doing or being, but what I can manage is how I respond, is the questions that I ask, is the things that I do, is the decisions that I make. I can manage, by the way, not easy. I'm not saying it's a piece of cake. I'm saying it's possible. I can manage my actions and reactions. Why? Because I have a brain, because I can rationalize. I have an intellect. I can respond positively or negatively. You know, this whole idea around self-management fascinates me because I started a hundred years ago, as you know, working in gyms with people and they come in because they want to manage their body differently and their food and their lifestyle and their outcomes. And so for me, that was self-management 101. How do I manage my exercise plan, my eating plan, my sleep, my self-regulation, my body, my genetics, how do I optimize shit? And so for me, I didn't know what was going on. But what I was doing is I was getting a steep learning curve. I was getting an education in how to help people manage themselves and how to produce ideal outcomes. And for a long time, I kind of struggled to articulate what specifically is it that I talk to people about because it's really broad. And Mm. so I kind of have come to this place where I go, well, really, it's about how do we optimally manage ourselves so that we can produce the results we want or as close as we can live our values be a good human, and do what's required to create a physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, and socially healthy existence. There's um, gold in those words as per usual. I picked something up there for myself was that I had a choice about whether I wanted to absorb that information when I got back. I could have controlled that. I could have I could have sat in that place and ate, eaten away from the, the TV and not be sitting right in front of it because I just turned up and sat down and went, oh, look, there you go, and there's all of these things going across. Mm. So I, my self-management skills there, I could have controlled the controllable, which was don't look at the TV, but I I chose to, and then it it hooked me back in, and as I said, I felt that that coming back in. I want to ask you this question about, about human beings and about control, what we can and can't control. Where does the fear of failure come into this? And and, and what I also thought about when you were talking, Harps, was – was success and listening to the the pharmacy owners in um in Uluru, like they have done the most amazing job in the last two and a half years. Their ability to adapt to what has changed. Literally, they would say we would wait for the premier's announcement in each state in each day, and then go, okay, what do we have to do today? Yeah. So controlling the controllables was an interesting one, but but they're so down on themselves about they don't talk enough about the the success. So. When we're successful, I, I tend to think we just move on to the next thing, but but we get caught in in this trap of, oh fuck, I didn't do that very well. We didn't do that well. I missed out by one percent. Mm. That's this is a fucking long question. This is like a Dermot Brereton question. I've nearly <laughs> answered the question as I've asked it, but if you can make any sense of it, what's going yeah, on yeah. there? Okay, so let me let me speak to two things, right? And then you interrupt me if you want to know something specific. So let's just talk about success as a construct. Let's talk about failure as a construct or a thing or an idea or a concept. So, you know, when we talk about success, for example, what the fuck does that mean? Because for old mate, it means one thing. And and for the lady down the road, it means something else. And in a business setting, it means A. In a sporting setting, it means B. If you're trying to beat cancer, it means C. If you're trying to overcome addiction, it means D. If you're like... So what we know about success is it's a perception. It's an idea. It's personal. 
But I think what we do grow up with, Mark, is we grow up in a culture, an environment, a collective mindset that taught me, and I'm guessing you, Mark, success is about what you have and what you earn and what you own and what you drive and where you live and what people think of you and how much money you have. In other words, Mark, success is about all the stuff that people can see and know about you, all the stuff that people can see and know, right? And so it's a very externally focused paradigm of a construct. That is, it's all about stuff, what I have, own, earn, et cetera. But you and I know, and I've personally experienced where I ticked the success box and not that I was you know, a superstar or Bill Gates or a billionaire, but by the time I was 30, I was more successful in inverted commas than I ever imagined I would be in my life. Yep. I owned five businesses when I was 30. I had 100 staff-ish when I was 30. I made lots of money. All of my businesses were in the black. I had a beach house. I had a house, another house. I had lots of shits and I was in good shape and I was writing for the Herald Sun and I was doing all of it and I had a PA, Mark. Oh, my God. Like this is the fat kid from Moey, right? <laughs> so for me, I'm Dumbo. like, fucking look at me. I'm, a, I'm killing it. But in the middle of all of that success, I was an overthinker. I was insecure. I was a people pleaser. I was fucking petrified that everyone would actually figure out what a fuck up I was and what a fraud I was. And I was emotionally and mentally and spiritually bankrupt because I was so driven by all things external. By the way, there's no answer to this question. This is just you and me thinking out loud. But but I think in part why we can become successful but not feel successful is because what's missing is psychological, emotional, sociological, and or spiritual, and we're trying to fix that with a 100-inch TV yeah, or a Porsche or biceps or a round of applause or a fucking cheer squad or a million likes on Instagram. See, the thing is you get your million likes on Instagram and you're fucking flying for seven minutes and then you're depressed because next day you only get half a million, right? Because it's... (laughs) Because you get desensitized, like when you take five aspirin, eventually need 25 aspirin to get the same response. So for me, and this sounds deep and weird and spiritual, but fuck it, this is where we are. For me, it's much more of a spiritual journey. Happiness, joy, fulfillment is about, and that doesn't need to be religion or church or synagogue. For me, spiritual is just anything arising from the thing that we call love, kindness, connection, purpose, service. And I don't always do that well because I'm human and I'm flawed and I have an ego and I'm still insecure and I still say dumb shit and I'm an only child and I want attention. But I'm well aware that when I do operate from that place of love and kindness and service and awareness, for me the feeling that I didn't have when I had all the dough and all the things that I was doing, I have that. I have yeah. that that internal, external world balance, like we're in the world but not of the world, the Bible says, and I don't want to start squat- quoting scripture because I'll put everyone to sleep. You know, but it's like, yes, we live in this paradigm where we have to, of course, pay bills and feed kids and drive cars and abide by the rules and you know, build a business and build a brand or have a career and all of those things, none of which are bad, but also none necessarily are going to nourish you. They're not going to nourish that internal, that child, that that soul, that spirit, that emotional 
person that needs that whatever, you know? And so for me personally, the ultimate of success is being kind of going okay in both of those realms, internal and external, seen and unseen, three-dimensional and not. There's a shitload to consider, isn't there? That is big. I'm just like, my head is spinning harps, but I think I've pulled something out of this. I love it how you, at times, you don't talk decades, you talk you talk in Olympics. So your seven Olympics on here, give or take, from 30-year-old Craig, yeah, yeah. about that. Yeah. I'm sure there'll be people here listening in going, all right, Harps, I know this would be the time because we're getting on a bit in this podcast. Harps is going to tell us the secret. And if he mm. went back to his scale of back when he was 30 years old, seven mm. Olympics ago, and there was a scale that said self-management fucking useless to self-management incredible, mm. I'm sure you didn't go from one end to the other. And I'm not saying that you were useless. You were somewhere down the bottom end of the scale. Hmm. What are the tips, Harps? What are the tips for the listeners who might be finding this whole idea of I've got to try and control shit I can't control, yeah. but I'm not really managing self well? Because you didn't just wake up one morning and you were much better at it, did you? No. And I'm still, here's the beauty of this, right? You know what's funny? You know, I'm pretty open and honest, and I never pump up my own tires because I don't, I don't self loathe like I used to, but I definitely don't think I'm awesome. These are the things I think I'm not bad at. I'm not bad at communication. I can think quite clearly and I will work harder than everyone I know. Yep. Right? And they're, all of those things are just skills that you can develop, right? You can develop communication. You can metacognition. You can develop the way that you can think about your thinking and work on it. You can choose to have a big work ethic. You can be lazy. You can be proactive, productive, effective in the middle of the mayhem but am I gifted? No. Do I have great genetics? No. Was I, you know, blessed? Well, I probably was that I had good parents and all of those things, but I wasn't born with an unfair advantage. Neither was I born with a disadvantage. So I'm very grateful. But I think there's four, let's start with four things. Uh, interrupt if you want to around self-awareness. So I think a really important part of like you can't change what you won't acknowledge, right? So if yep. we go, I want to learn, grow, evolve, get better, cool. Well, you can't get better at the thing that you won't acknowledge or the thing that you won't deal with, right? So there's kind of a – what's the guy's name, I should say? I forget. A very famous uh, researcher, psychologist, doesn't matter. Anyway, this is – what I'm about to share is a version of what his research tells us. But this is really easy to get and really easy – to do something with. And so this is all around self-awareness So, and creating something positive out of self-awareness. So there's four steps. Number one, when we're thinking about our life, when we think about our career, when we think about our relationships, the way that we do food, the way that we do exercise, the way that we do communication, booze, whatever it is, money, whatever component of your life that you think needs some work. Step one is self-contemplation. And this is where we just hit the brakes, shut the fuck up, be still, put your phone away, put the TV away, get by yourself, go sit at the beach, put your fucking toes in the water, sit under a tree, do whatever you want. Don't hurry. Don't have a t Don't go, oh, I'm going to contemplate shit for seven minutes and then I'm, you know, just like we need time and space to go deep. So self-contemplation is where we start to think about Oh, when Mark talks, I always interrupt him. What's that about? 
Yeah. Or every time Mark says, oh, I did A, well, I go, oh, I did B and C and D. Like, fuck, what, what is, why do I need to show off? Like, what is that about me? Or I want to be leaner and fitter, but I'm still making decisions which are sabotaging that. Like I'm still eating shit while simultaneously saying, I want to be in good shape. I keep saying I'm going to drink less, but I'm actually drinking more. Now, this is not self-loathing. This is just contemplation. So we start to dig on what what am I doing and maybe why am I doing it? And then step two is self-awareness, where we start to recognize things where I go, oh, I'm insecure. Oh, I want Mark to like me. Oh, I want to be really funny on his show because I want people to think I'm ace or I'm lazy. I say I'm going to do things because I want people to be impressed by me and I talk a big game, but I do fuck all. Yep. I'm full of shit, right? That's self-awareness. And people go, oh, that's self-loathing. Not if it's true. <laughs> if I'm full <laughs> of shit, that's not self-loathing. Yep. And I have been full of shit many times in my life, right? Now, Nobody wants to acknowledge that, but guess what? Like if you're full of shit, you're full of shit. If you tell lies, you tell lies. If you bullshit yourself, if you make excuses, don't get mad at me because I'm pointing out something that's true. And I had to not get mad at myself because I, like you can't overcome the thing you won't acknowledge. I can't overcome my bullshit, my insecurity, my self-doubt, my self-loathing if I won't acknowledge it because otherwise then I'm in denial, right? So number one, self-contemplation, self-awareness is number two, become aware of the things that you're doing. And again, not in a self-loathing way, just recognizing it. Number three is self-evaluation. And this means comparing what you're currently doing to your ideal. Okay, this is what I'm doing. What would you like to be doing, Mark? What's your value? How does your behavior compare to your values or your ideal or your goal or your intention? So this is where we find the gap between what we're currently doing and what we would like to be doing or how we currently are and how we would like to be. And then the last one is (laughs) not the easy one. The last one is self-regulation. So that's me actually doing what's required to change. Okay, so yeah, I recognize I drink too much or I do, or, or I talk a lot, but I don't do much or I want people to, I'm insecure, so I'm always looking for acceptance and affirmation and or I keep kind of going to the same person in relationships where I basically, you know, I, I'm attracted to people who are destructive and toxic and why do I do, well, I don't know. I don't know why you do that if you do that, but maybe open that door and think about that, right? So Life happens despite you sometimes, not because of you. You know, like your story is going to unfold. I always say to people like, let's say you live, let's go 90 years. Well done, 90 years. So you're going to, at the end of 90 years, there's going to be a story. And what I'm interested in is how much of that story you've written and how much of that has just been written by situation, circumstance, other people, others' expectations, where you have really been a passenger in your own life rather than the director rather than the driver, you know, rather than the orchestrator. You know, and I think a really, like if you really want a two-question kind of guidance system, what are my values and am I living in alignment with those values? Yeah. And if you're living in alignment, like let's say this is going to sound creepy, everyone, but let's say I could observe Mark for a week 
interactions, work, home, whatever, like all the conversations. And I was a fly on the wall and I could see within reason <laughs> everything he did. And let's say he is living an aligned life. He is living in alignment. Well, I could tell you at the end of the week without asking him or without talking to him, I could tell you what Mark's values are based on what I see and what I hear. And you go, well, cool. Why does that matter? Why that matters is, in my opinion and observation, when people are living out of alignment, they're unhappy, they're frustrated, uh, they're destructive, they're self-destructive, and they're not great to be around. And they're often anxious and or sad or depressed. That doesn't mean that everyone that's in alignment is just a bundle of joy all the time, but much better chance when we're living in alignment with our values and beliefs and faith and goals and intentions that we are in a better place mentally and emotionally. Some deep, deep things there, Mr. Harper. Hey, um, as you were talking, I think you were in about the third one there, the word that started to come into my mind was trust. Mm. Now, the relationship between self-management and trusting yourself. Yeah. Any words of wisdom around that? Do we trust ourselves enough? I think trust yourself to have a go, you know. Yeah. Just go, listen, I'm going to have a go at this. I could fuck up and that's okay. Because another word for a fuck up is an experience. Another word for a fuck up is a lesson. Another word for a fuck up sometimes is growth, is understanding, is greater awareness. There's lots of things that I have done and continue to do which you could call a fuck up. Yeah. I've had businesses that didn't work. I've done speaking gigs that were horrible. I've offended people. I continue to offend people. and But in the middle of all of that, I'm never trying to fuck up. I'm never trying to offend anyone. But the human experience is that. Yeah. You know, one of my lecturers at school years ago, first time around at uni, said to me, Mr. Harper, if you don't want to offend anyone ever, then say nothing, do nothing, be nothing, and stand for nothing. And I'm like, oh, I'm not forgetting that because that's fucking brilliant. <laughs> and if you have a podcast and your name's Mark LeBusque and you have an opinion and ideas and you share thoughts and messages, 100% people are not going to like you, not because you're bad, but because not everyone will like you. And so if you're insecure, don't have a podcast. If you're insecure, either work on it or, or don't have a platform where people are going to judge you because the reality of having a podcast and many other things is you are judged. You are, a I like him. I don't like him. That was interesting. That was bullshit. He's good. He's bad. Listen to his show. Don't listen. These are all evaluations. Yep. Right? So if you're uncomfortable with that, fuck off, go live on an island and do something else. Now, is that guy still wanting to throw you into the volcano? Do you hear from him still? Oh, I these haven't days? heard from old mate. I, oh. uh, Mark's talking about a guy who sent me a letter and said, I hate people like you. <laughs> I would like to put you in a plane and fly you over an active volcano and drop you in it. <laughs> and I went, dear Scott, thanks for your message. Hope you're well. Have a great week. Well, I can't remember his name, but I actually sent him a really nice response. I didn't even refer to the volcano bit, but I'm sure that fucked him off even more. Ah, well. So just on that, because I once got one back that said, you obviously have a low intellect and have written a book that could have been written by a five-year-old kid, da-da-da-da-da-da. But my initial reaction as I was reading it was like I could actually feel the anger building in me, and then I just stepped away and went, thank you very much for your feedback. Um, I am trying my best. And and then I got another one coming back saying, I'm just having a bad day. I, I didn't really mean it. And I said, no, 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 that's thank you. But... 
that that first thing was a bit like, I'm not in control here. Someone thinks I'm a fucking idiot. Mm. It's not just getting an email like this. I go back to the pharmacy crew from last week and for two and a half years, and even now still, the way they've had to adapt, and they said at times it has felt like we are just totally, totally out of control here. Mm. If there's somebody who is totally out of control half, so they have the, and I'm not sure if they really are, but they're feeling like they're totally out of control. Yeah. Outside of the four things you talked about before, like a quick thing that they might be able to do, what what do you do when you are just feeling like it's overwhelming? Total chaos. Yeah, overwhelm. I hear that word a lot at the moment. I am overwhelmed. Yeah. What's the first thing that people should step back and think about? You know what's really interesting about overwhelm? Again, that's what does that mean? It usually means I'm in a state mentally and or emotionally where I feel like I'm going to explode or I can't cope or it's too much. I get that. So it kind of slides into the anxiety and the depression and the I'm not happy space, doesn't it? I actually had a meeting with a guy this morning who suffers from, suffers, is that the right word? Yeah, let's just say that, really struggles with depression and anxiety. And uh, part of his process and part of his ability to function is to go, oh, uh, my anxiety right now is an eight Yeah, and that's okay. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's okay. Because I've been eight, I've been nine, I've been 11, and even 10 is okay. And it's okay. I don't love it, but uh, here's, here's the thing. I don't die from this. I've been here before. And the moment that you genuinely can go, uh, I feel overwhelmed, and that's okay. And I would say to people, okay, tell me why you feel overwhelmed. And they would go this, 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 and this. And I go, wow, uh, I'd probably feel overwhelmed as well. And they go, what? I go, yeah, I... I actually think that's probably, all things considered, an appropriate response. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. oh, so let's be overwhelmed, but let's not live there. So you're feeling that, I'm acknowledging it, but let's not all sit around and have a pity party. Let's acknowledge what is. Let's not pretend things are ace. Like this is the thing about real personal growth and real self-help, not self-help the product or the book or the program, self-help the process is about recognizing the shit. It's not about fucking kumbaya and positive memes and high fives. I'm much more at the stoic end where we go, oh, well, this fucking sucks. I don't want this. I've been through a lot of shit with a lot of people whose life is really tough. And if I tried for one moment to pretend with them that, oh, it's just a phase or you'll be right, I would have crashed and burned and they would not want me in their space, right? And so it's going, all right, well, this is how I'm feeling. This is where I'm at. I go, cool. I understand. I acknowledge that. Right. Let's just for one minute think about what can you do today? What's one thing that you can do today that might create a little bit of positive shift? One thing. Don't overthink it. Give me one thing. Right. And they go, oh, well, I guess I could go for a walk. I go, fucking great. So, what I want you to do is go for a walk and send me a message tonight and go, harps, I did my 1K walk and I'm going to send you a message back and boom. Right. Now I know I can't do that for all people and neither can you. But it's like, oh, cool. Because what happens when you get out of the house is now you're getting out of the sitting on the couch and dwelling and overthinking. And now you're moving your body and now you're changing your brain chemistry. And now you're starting to feel a little different because you're maybe getting some vitamin D and you're sucking in some air and boom, right? So we're not trying to reinvent the wheel by Friday and we're not pretending that what you're feeling, you shouldn't be feeling. We're acknowledging it. We're going, I'm with you. That's fucking terrible. You know, that does suck. 
There's no snap out of it coming from me. There's no, oh, you'll be right. There's no backslapping come from me. There's recognition. There's empathy. There's acceptance of what's going on. And I get all of that. Now, can I ask you a few questions? What did you eat for brekkie? Well, I don't know. Cool. Is that the best brekkie? No. What could you eat? Oh, I could eat this. Cool. So we do that tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So I need to go buy some shit. Right. So go buy some shit. Now, maybe one more thing. What? So, you know, you did a, you walked for a K yesterday. How did you feel? I thought I felt good. Here's an idea. Could you walk for two Ks today? Could you do a, in the morning, a 1K walk? And so these are not fucking, you know, mind blowing ideas, mate. These are like, where are you at? Let's start there. And here's the other thing with overwhelm, with depression, with anxiety, with grief. There's no fucking three-step plan. Yeah. There's no plan because you might sit and tell me some stuff and I I sit with you and I go, mate, try this. Or what do you think about trying this? You go, yeah, cool. I'll I'll give that a crack. And you ring me in two days. You go, mate, that's really good. That's, That's helped. And I go, great. How can we progress that? I say the same thing to someone who's got similar issues to you and doesn't work because they're not you. Yeah. And this is another misnomer and fallacy about how to build a business, how to build a brand, how to build a great life, how to build a healthy body, how to eat optimally, is that there's a best way. There's no fucking best way. There's your best way. There's not the best way or a best way. It doesn't exist. If Mark LeBusque and Craig Harper have the same amount of sleep and eat the same food, micros, macros, energy in, and we do the same workouts and we're not going to look like each other, we're not going to have the same body composition, we're not going to have the same muscle mass, we're not going to recover the same way, we're not going to feel the same way, we're not going to have the same energy levels because we're not following something that's uniquely specific to us, we're following something that's generic. And what's being sold, I know I'm on my soapbox right now, brothers and sisters, lean in if you would. Uh, I feel like, you know, we're being sold a lot of generic bullshit masquerading as an individual recipe for people, and it isn't. And so when people go to me, how do I do this or that? I go, I don't know. I don't know, but here are some thoughts and ideas. So why don't you try something, see what the outcome is. Let's start with this eating regime or this exercise regime or this sleep protocol and then tell me how your body responds. And then over time, we'll figure out whether or not that's the blueprint for you, for your business or for your food or for your relationships or for your happiness. You know, this is a work. And one last thing I'll say just on the personal recipe thing is, I figured out when I was 20 years old, after I'd had a job for two years and bosses for two years, and this is not a bad thing, this is a personal thing, I figured out, oh, you know what? I don't want to have a boss for the next 40 years. I don't want to have a job. I don't want to come and clock in at nine and clock off at five and have a bloke or a lady tell me what to do all day. I'm not lazy. I don't dislike them. I just don't love that operating system. So how do I not do that? And the answer is, well, Craig, create your own thing. And it took me a while, but you know, the last time I had a job was literally 32 years ago. I've been, (laughs) but for a lot of people that would not work. So it's not a recommendation. It's just a personal reflection. And I think people have to work through that. There's a couple of things that stuck out for me there. One was if you are talking to someone in a state of overwhelm, is the acknowledgement of that is a really important part of it, to acknowledge that there's, yep, I, I acknowledge there's some overwhelm there. 
I like the idea that too many people are going for the the silver bullet and the the, the new pill and the quick fix, the short termism, and, and letting people know that or the big bang. And it's like one thing: go for a one k walk. And if, if that's in your business, it's like it might be spend an hour a week now on some forward planning. That's all you need to do. You don't need to sit down for three days or overnight in between you're working wherever you work and write it then and have it worked out in in a week. And then the other one that I really like, and I, I talk to people a lot about this, is uniqueness. Human beings are not processes and programs and and we're all different. And I love the you know example you gave that you would we wouldn't have the same results if we did exactly the same things. And and I think this is something that that all human beings, and it again heightened last week, all human beings have got to start to think about is that we're unique. And even though I think there's some good stuff out there, there's also some very bad stuff that tends to fucking hook people in, some bad advice, and we all follow it. And then we find ourselves back in exactly the same place because we aren't managing self. And it all starts itself. This is, I firmly believe, is if you're going to treat people better, if you're going to be a better manager, if you're going to be a better coach, if you're going to be a better pharmacist, you've actually got to look after yourself first. And and you know what? That's where the hardest work is. And when we think about something like this podcast, your show, well, this is not a prescription. This is not a recommendation. This is no. a conversation between two blokes thinking out loud about the human experience. And so... I think our job as listeners or students is to think about stuff, is to listen to what we want to listen to. If that's you, great. If to read stuff, if we want to read, to expose ourselves to thoughts and ideas and potential somethings, and then to do something and then see what that something produces and then interpret the data. Yep. Oh, You know, when the pandemic started and I went from moving a lot to moving not much because I wasn't going to uni anymore, I wasn't going to the gym because they were closed, I was doing bits and pieces at home, But and I don't have the data on this, but I suspect my steps went from 10,000 a day to three or four, and I put on weight, and I haven't put on weight for 20 years, and I'm like, I'm getting fucking fat. Oh, well, um, so I upped my steps and that, but I went, ah, and you've heard this story, I went, I'm just going to not eat lunch for a bit. I'm going to do that for a week or two. I'm going to have breakfast and dinner because I'm fucking moving as much as a, a plant. You know, I'm essentially a statue in front of a keyboard and I'll lose a couple of kilos. I'll feel a bit better, blah, 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 blah. Well, what happened was that happened. Firstly, I lost a kilo or three, which is great. But what happened was the guy that was getting kind of cognitive fatigue about two or three every day, the guy that felt like he hit the wall every mid-afternoon and all of a sudden I felt 87 years old, that stopped happening. And it stopped happening on day one because on day one I didn't have any lunch. I didn't have any carbs. And it's not like a white bread sandwiches. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Now, my cognitive function, productivity, efficiency output is better now Two years later, I haven't eaten lunch for, I don't know, two and a half years, two years. I only eat breakfast and I eat dinner. Now, do I recommend this? No, I recommend this for me because my body works with this. Would I suggest you? I definitely wouldn't. You know why? Because you're not me. I would suggest you try stuff and figure out, oh, so when I do this to my body, what's the outcome? Don't change 10 things because that's completely unscientific (laughs) and Mm. you won't know what's doing what. But 
if you're listening to this and you have a body, and I suspect you do, and you want to change something with your body, fitter, leaner, lighter, stronger, less pain, more function, better performance, blah, blah, whatever that is, cool. Stay with your current operating system and change one thing for two weeks. One thing, but do it religiously so that you go, oh, wow, when I include this or I subtract that or I change that, I'm getting leaner or I'm getting stronger or I'm now that could be about sleep. That could be about food. That could be about a training technique. That could be, you know what? I'm not training seven days a week. I'm training five. And now I've got two days of recovery and I'm, my progress is accelerating. Fuck who knew that recovery matters, you know? So you don't need to be a scientist to be scientific and you definitely don't need, you know, of course we need health experts and doctors at times. My experience is not as much as we think, though, because your body is the greatest teacher. Your body mm-hmm. is a biofeedback system that's always telling you something, and your job is to listen and and hopefully respond intelligently. I love the spirit of experimentation, Harps, and that's the experiment that you've run for that period of time. We're now week four, Alison and I are now week four into doing the old intermittent fasting, the 16-8 thing. And mm. i got to say, the first couple of days I had a bit of the old fuck, I'm hungry, yeah. but just put a bit of water into your guts and you, you feel all right. But I reckon after about two weeks, the clarity yeah. and the sleep have been two things I've noticed very differently yeah. to before and maybe a little bit of um, fluid retention as well, yeah. a bit of bloating. But outside of that, it's been this one thing, let's just change the window. Yeah. And, yeah, I feel and I'm going to keep running this experiment hopefully for quite some time and go, well, but I'm not going to do every, I'm not going to get rid of everything in that eight hours. I'm not going to go, I'm going to eat fucking fresh air sandwiches with no white bread or the things I don't like because I'll still do that. But just giving the body a rest, I think, 100% has been been fantastic. You know, I had a dodgy lower back. Oh, I have a dodgy lower back historically. I've fucking bulging discs out the wazoo and multiple cortisone shots in my spine. But right now it's uh, somewhere between you know, not bad and pretty good, um, but a few, maybe close to the start of the year, so maybe six months ago, it was shitty, right? I just stumbled across, there's a really interesting guy, this is, I don't know this guy, so there's no association here, but there's a really interesting dude on, you've probably heard of him, Mark, or you may not have, on Instagram called the knees over toes guy. No. So, yeah, fucking amazing. Knees over toes, sounds terrible name. He's got over a million followers, and he just does all this incredible functional stuff, right? So everyone, look, I mean, if you're into training and you now keeping in mind I'm an exercise scientist, so not a dummy, and trying to fuckload of people and athletes and Olympians and all that shit, and but I'm still lots to learn, right? And I was looking at him doing this backward walking, pulling a sled, and and I kind of I've never done much of that. I've never used a well, I've used a sled, but not consistently in my training and. Around this time, my back was very sore. So I just did this one simple thing, and I walked to the footy oval, which is 800 meters from me, and I look like a complete crazy person. That's okay. I walked a one kilometer backwards every day. Yep. So I just did, and because when you're walking backwards, obviously not forwards, you're using uh, your ass, your glutes, your hamstrings, you're using a different chain of muscles, posterior muscles, not anterior muscles. Because obviously we spend the vast majority of our lives either in the one place or in a forward motion. 
But when you walk backwards, which obviously our body can do very well, but we don't do, all of a sudden you're engaging a whole lot of shit that you don't engage. I went from consistent two to seven out of 10 pain. I didn't have any pain-free moments through the day where I would get out of bed, my pain would be seven to eight. I couldn't tie my shoes straight away. If I dropped something on the floor within 15 minutes of getting out of bed, I just had to leave it there. I'm fucked. I'm not getting that. In two weeks, I my pain went to zero. Yep. Zero. And I'm still doing it. I'm doing it three days a week, not seven. Mm. And my back pain has gone, generally my range is zero to two. And for a long time, it was two to 15. You so know? Let, me, let me ask you a question. When you're walking around, I'm picturing you walking around that oval with your beanie on, perhaps. Mm. Um, singlet, yeah. maybe bare feet. Yeah, or you got bare feet. Yeah. Always bare feet. I never and you, walk and in And you're shoes. going backwards, and then you get you. How, when someone says hello to you when they're walking forwards, how mm. do you how do you, how do you address them as they're going? You got you got the two ladies going for their morning walk and yeah. they're power walking with their three kilo weights in their hands. Yeah. How do you engage with them, Craig? People who don't know me, which is a lot of people, obviously, but you look at me right now. So I've got six days growth. I've got a black beanie on, a black T-shirt. I look like a fucking convicted felon, Mark. No yeah, one talks do. to me. And so when I'm walking backwards like a crazy person in bare feet, especially when it's five degrees or six degrees and it's, you know, seven or 8 a.m., uh, yeah, I'm not having any conversations. Nice. I get weird, weird looks. But even worse, and this is just a little throw into the story, I've got a weight vest. I've got two weight vests. One holds uh, 60 pounds. I have these little, it's American made. So there's these three pound blocks that you put in the jacket. There's all these little pockets. And I have another one that weighs 100 or that can carry 100. And I think it's actually 139 pounds, about right. 140 pounds. Now, putting that on as a fucking, anyway, that's a whole different story. You should come over one day and borrow that thing for a week or kill you. But anyway, when I'm walking around suburbia with this on and it looks like, well, it's a black vest that's made out of Kevlar and it like you can imagine what it looks like. It doesn't look like a very friendly thing to be wearing. And uh, so I'm walking around suburbia in bare feet with camo shorts and this black vest on, which looks terrifying in my beanie with my stubble and I'm like, I'm just in my own little world with headphones on, by the way, listening to your show, of course. And I'm quite oblivious, but many people have said to me, you know, you look fucking terrifying. I go, yeah, it's not my intention. <laughs> it's just how I look. Do the police ever slow down as they drive past you when you, you know what? That? that is funny. There were police coming recently out of a driveway. They, they were parked out the front. They must've knocked on someone's door and they looked at me and I wasn't, I was just walking and literally I was 400 metres from my own house, but they did check me out hard and I reckon it was a 50-50 if they were going. It's probably the fact that I'm not a 23-year-old in a hoodie that, shout out to 23-year-olds in hoodies, by the way, um, it's probably the fact that I'm a bit older and they thought I was a bit harmless that they just let me keep going. I love it. Hey, mate, thank you for a conversation, not a sermon. And I loved it when you said that before, because this is what this has been. This has been about an hour of two mm. blokes who haven't caught up for a while having a chat. And um, as always, mate, great to be talking to you. Thank you very much for coming on. Always a pleasure, mate. Love your guts. And uh, thanks for having me. Talk to you soon, buddy. I think one of 
One of the joys in life for me is when you haven't spoken to someone for a while and you get back on a podcast or you get back on Zoom or maybe face-to-face and it just feels like it was yesterday when you were talking to them. And every time I catch up with Harps, with Craig Harper, it feels a bit like that. I get to learn a bit myself. Some of the things he talked about today, I love the idea with all of these things and self-management, but in particular that you can't change what you won't acknowledge. And um, I guess the way I say that, again, using Alinskyism is what's your part in the mess? So this idea that unless you're prepared to acknowledge it, you're not going to be able to change it or even control it in some way. So I think that's really important. His ideas on success and what success is and what failure is, what control is, a whole lot of the things he talked about there, look, success is a perception. It is. And what is success? Are you? Is it successful because of the house, the car, the office, all those things? Or is it successful because you bring joy, happiness, compassion, not only to others, but to yourself? Loved it how he asked me about Uluru because, you know, he's not been there. I was surprised by that, but I'm sure if he gets out there, he will have a very, very similar experience to me from that spiritual perspective. Uh, And also, as we talk today about uniqueness, he may have some very different experiences as well. So I wanted to finish with that is remember not to try to change things too quickly. If you are overwhelmed, not to be trying to change everything, just as he said, go for a 1K walk on day one. And the other thing is to remember your uniqueness, that you're you're not a process you're not a program of work. You're not next week's story. You're a human being and you've got a lot of things that you bring that are unique and at times we need to spend more time thinking about them. So there you go. That was Harps. Um, if you love this one, please rate it five stars and uh, leave us a comment as to why. And if you liked it, share it with your friends and check Harps' podcast out as well, The You Project, which is a phenomenal podcast, um, an episode every day, which is incredible in itself. But until next time, keep it simple, keep it practical, and keep it human. Bye for now.